Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. But um, so yeah, so I just want to introduce myself because you may not know who I am. Some of you might do, and that's okay. But I just thought I'd introduce myself, really. Uh, my name's Beatrice, like Emma said, and I've been going to Ivy now for four years. With my husband, and my children, and I started coming in 2013, just at the end, and um, and we've just loved every minute of being part of Ivy Church. It's been such a great adventure for us, and it's been such a great place for us to come and breathe in Jesus, and then as we've gotten restored, then breathe out into the rest of our community. So I just really love being part of what God is doing here. It's absolutely incredible. So it's a real pleasure for me to be here and to speak tonight. This is the very first time I've ever did, I've never done this before. It's the very first time I'm speaking at Ivy Central, so I'm really excited. A tad bit nervous, but that's okay, don't worry about that. Um, and I just thought really that um, I promised my children, promised my, um, my two kids that I was always going to mention them if they're not with me. Uh, so I'm gonna um, I'm gonna introduce uh, you, my, you to my little kids here. So behind me, you've got Isabella, who's seven, and Charlie, who's four. And Isabella really wanted to come tonight, and I said, no, it's past your bedtime, you really need to sleep. And uh, she said, but mommy, it's the school holidays, I know, you need to sleep. So, um, so I said that, though, that I would mention it, so you can all be witnesses to the fact that I did mention her. <laughs> and, uh, and I just love being a mom, and actually everything that I do, I feel like God has called me to, to be a mom first, and to, to do all of that. And anything else that he enables me to do, he's, he's um, helping me to teach the next generation how to follow after Jesus. And that next generation are these two in my life. Um, so yeah, so we're going to continue in our series on uh, the kingdom. You can take them off now. They don't need to see them throughout the whole thing. <laughs> Uh, we're going to continue in our series on the kingdom. Um, if you've been here in the last couple of weeks, maybe in the last couple of months, you'll know that here at Ivy Central, we're in this series on the kingdom. We've been looking at, um, Anthony and, and the others have been looking at the kingdom of God and what Jesus had to say about this, what he had to say about the kingdom of God. So you would have heard some really key uh, theological phrases that have now become like, I don't know, maybe stuff that we use in our daily conversation, the things like, it is now and not yet. This paradox of the kingdom, the fact that when Jesus arrives on the scene, the kingdom of God has arrived fully in its fullness. And yet we know by looking at our world that, it's not, that there's still lots of things that we're looking at and we're thinking, well, really, God, has it really arrived? So we talk about the kingdom of God being here, being now, but also not yet, because we know that Jesus is going to come back, and then we'll see the fullness of the kingdom then. But his arrival, Jesus' arrival, is signaled something really exciting. Uh, it signaled the end of the old order of worship, and the beginning of a completely new way for us to relate to God. And um, I think this is how God intended us for us to live. He intended for us to walk with him, which is what you see in the Bible in Genesis. You see people of God walking with God daily and, and conversing with God, right? And he's walking with them and they're walking with him. And when Jesus comes back, 
He reestablishes, he seeks to reestablish that relational way for us to relate to God. And that is the bit that's really exciting to me when I talk about the kingdom of God, because we're then restored back to that place where we can then walk with God and be with him and him with us. So if you want to open your Bibles with me to Matthew 5, 43, uh, it's a bit dark in here, but I'm sure if, um, if you have your, I don't know, electronic phones or Thank you very much, now I can see you. So if you want to open your Bibles, and you don't, if you have physical Bibles like me, you can do that. Or if you have your electronic Bibles, please do that as well. And look at 5.43, and just hold it there for now. Hold it there for a minute. We're not going to start reading just yet. Uh, because before we get into scripture, I just wanted to remind you of what Emma was saying before. It's really funny. Emma came up here and basically did the first line, the first kind of page of my whole talk. Because I was going to talk to you about the question that Anthony's been asking us. Um, you know, what did God say to you this week? What did he say to you this week while you're reading your Bible? And what are you going to do about it? Who was here? Who was here when Anthony was asking that question? Put your hand up. Cool, so there's quite a few of you, quite a few hands here. You know what, I love that question. I absolutely love that question. Ever since Anthony used it and ever since he used it in, in his preach, I haven't been able to read my Bible the same and it's fantastic. And the reason why I love that question is because it's reconnecting me to the fact that God speaks always. God speaks to us. He wants to speak to his people. He wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to me tonight. So I just want us to have um, that in the back of our mind because actually he wants you to take whatever he he says to you tonight into your world because actually God wants to say something very specific to each and every one of you tonight and he wants to be very personal with you and he's going to get up close and he's going to give you something that you're going to take into your week. So I want us to be really expectant and I want us to be really connected to the Holy Spirit tonight. And whether you know him or not, I really believe that God has something to say to each, one, each and every one of us tonight. So uh, it says here in Matthew 5.43, uh, we're going to read it and then we're going to pray. I'm going to read 43 to 48. And it says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of God, of your Father God in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And not even tax collectors doing that. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than the others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you come tonight? I just really want you to come, Holy Spirit, and just completely wreck us, Jesus. And then as you do, rebuild us in your image and put in us a desire and a trust to follow you and to obey everything that you want to teach us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight, we're going to look at uh, the kingdom of love. And we're going to be looking at the kingdom of love through the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to specifically focus on the kingdom of love through loving our enemies. So um, I don't know about you, but as I prepare this message this week, 
I just, I, I got really clinical about it because I was like, yeah, it's loving your enemies and it's a preach, so I'm going to talk about what the theologians say because I'm, I'm at WTC and I'm loving it and it's great. And then I'm going to talk about what the other people say and how it's been applied through history. And then I'm going to talk about all of that and then bring it back together and talk about how we can apply it. But God really knocked on my heart this week and said, no, I don't want you to do that. I want you to get really personal. I want this message to be really personal to you. And, um, and that really challenged me because I didn't want to do that. You know, that meant that then I'd have to talk to you tonight and share some of my stuff and how I've struggled with this. Because actually, it's really, really hard, isn't it? It's really hard to be vulnerable like that. It's really hard to share the things that you haven't necessarily triumphed in. But I have really struggled with this message. So you know what? I'll give you a little bit of, um, of a background so you know. Uh, I'm from Rwanda. So if you know anything about Africa, you'll know that Rwanda is in uh, East Africa. It's this, it's this tiny country right in the heart of Africa, the stunning place, right? And, um, and in Rwanda, it's uh, right below the equator. It's called Le Pays de Mille Collines, the land of a thousand hills. That's where I'm from. And in 1994, you remember, if you know anything about history, Rwanda was hit by a genocide. And for 100 days, nearly one million people were killed in what is now known as the Rwandan genocide. Now, I was unfortunate enough to be part of, uh, to be in Rwanda when that happened. So when Jesus said, get personal, part of me was, a, was um, slightly hesitant about that because it meant then going back to places that I didn't want to go and sharing things that I don't want to share, and looking at things that I don't want to talk about. But you know what? God then gets really close to us, doesn't he? And he comes in, and he says, what am I saying to you right now? And what are you going to do about it? So we're going to get personal tonight. Amen? <laughs> Exciting. So, um, so yeah, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, because I did do some theological looking uh, through the books, um, he wrote this book called the cost, of Dis- uh, the cost of Discipleship, and what he wrote was that to the natural man, the very notion of loving his enemies is intolerable, is an intolerable offense, and quite beyond his capacity. It cuts right across his idea of good and evil. So I don't know about you, but have you ever thought to yourself that some people, some people are actually impossible to love? I don't know if you've ever thought that, but I have, right? Um, so let's get a bit personal because that's what we're doing tonight. So child molesters, human traffickers, murderers, politicians. <laughs> In fact, let's, let's get very specific. Some politicians, specific politicians across the pond, yeah? Hmm, people who voted a certain way a couple of years ago. They're really hard to love, aren't they? I just, you just can't. You just think, how could you? How, how could you do that? You know, and this, so you kind of go to Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, I know what you mean about loving your enemies, and, and I get it, and you're, you're great for saying that, but you don't mean those people, do you? You don't actually mean those. Because loving our enemies is spelled H-A-R-D, hard. It's really hard. It cuts right across. You know, it cuts right across your idea of good and evil. It does. It cuts inside and it asks you to love people you don't want to love. 
Like I said, for me, being from a place like Rwanda, where several members of my family were killed and we lost countless friends, and on several occasions my family and I came face to face with people wielding machetes, wanting to kill us. Thankfully we survived. But you know, for four years then, as a result of that, being refugees in places in Africa that I didn't want to go to, that I wanted to be home, losing home, losing family, losing childhood, right? And then preparing a message about loving your enemies. I have to tell you, that's hard. That's really hard. But then I got, uh, when I was doing this and I was getting personal, I kept saying, Jesus, do I still have to do this? And then I heard him say to me, Beatrice, do you want to obey everything that I taught you? Do you want to obey everything that I taught? And I think that's the same question that he's asking all of us tonight. Do you want to obey everything that I taught you? Because as Christians, we're called to be biblical disciples of Jesus. What that means is we're his followers. And to be a disciple of Jesus is our mission, it's our purpose, it's our goal. And as his disciples, our personal identity is tied up in following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, being committed to his mission. And here at Ivy, we believe that that mission is to help people find their way back to God. And we do that by spending time getting to fully know him, getting to fully know the things that he taught, and then doing that in community through grow groups, and then actually going out into the world and practicing that, teaching others to do the same. In fact, Jesus gave us this mission and he said, go and make disciples of all men, go and make disciples of all people, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then if we do that, he says that he will be with us to the end of the age. So I wanna ask you that question tonight as I deliver this message that I believe God wants you to hear. Do you, do you want to obey everything that Jesus taught you? So we're looking at the two chapters of Matthew, Matthew five to seven, commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. And in the middle of this, Jesus is right in the middle of his like, greatest sermon ever, right? He's completely preaching up a storm. And just to offer context, it's like, this is like his manifesto, right? So when a politician comes into power and they're trying to let you know what they're about, this is like that for Jesus. So he comes in and he verbally dec- declares his intentions, his motives, and his views on the kingdom of God. And it's like when Theresa May came into power, we all waited, didn't we, with like bated breath, and we wanted to know what new policies she was going to bring, and we wanted to know which ones she was going to abolish, especially which ones she was going to abolish, and then we wanted to know what tax breaks we were going to get, if there were any. Um, Jesus takes center stage here, and he's like, this is what I'm about. He announces his politics, except his politics are not what we were expecting, what people were expecting at the time. So the hearers at the time must have been really confused because they thought that he was coming and he was going to be on their side, especially those who were, who were the, you know, in the powers that be. So what Jesus does in, on this, in the Sermon on the Mount, he announces something so radical, so intimidating to the powers that be. Because then he says that the people who are going to be the most blessed in his kingdom are not the ones that are already benefiting. These are the poor, the meek, the humble, right? And we look at that and we think, oh yeah, we agree with that. Be all for the poor, absolutely. So we were on his side up until he says, love your enemies, right? Because the standard that Jesus sets here is so high on the Sermon on the Mount, it's so high. Because in loving our enemies, what we're doing is, we're signing up to rather a lot, we really are. 
We're saying, okay, God, we agree that we're going to pray for those who persecute us. Ouch, are we? This is a command that if I'm perfectly honest, I am still failing to accomplish. You know, and yet this part is part and parcel of my identity as a child of God. I cannot be a child of God unless I'm absolutely in line with this, right? And this, Jesus says, that if we are to do this, we reflect the character of God. So one of the things that strikes me about this verse is this. So Jesus says, you have heard it said, love your enemies and ha- uh, love your enemies and hate, oh sorry, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But actually the Old Testament doesn't say that. So I looked, I looked and I looked again and I didn't find any instance where the Old Testament says, hate your enemies, because I thought, what is that in the Bible? Um, but what was happening here was that the rabbis of the first century BC were using what Moses had taught, what the commands, uh, the commands that they had received, and they were distorting it a little bit. And the common understanding by then was that uh, it was mostly taken from Leviticus 19, 18, where it talks about uh, love your neighbor and do good to your fellow Jew, and love your, Jew, the, your fellow neighbor and your Jews. And so people had taken the word neighbor and they had interpreted it to mean fellow Jew. So anybody who didn't fit under that category was an enemy and was treated as an outsider and was treated as somebody they shouldn't be interacting with. And so basically, the common teaching was, if you're like me, I will love you, but if you're different, if you have different views to me, if you don't look like me, if your world doesn't reflect mine, I'm going to reject you. That sounds really familiar, doesn't it? We're in a similar time right now, aren't we? So. Um, What else does he say? Jesus goes on to say six times in Matthew 5, sayings that start like this, you have heard it said, but I say. And it's really hard not to think, oh, is he completely taking the law and throwing it out? But actually, what he's doing is he essentially takes the law of Moses, as people would have understood it, and he begins to reconnect it with the heart with which it was meant in the first place. Because religious leaders had been distorting these views for a while, and Jesus is like, that's not what I meant. This is what I mean. And he reinterprets what they've been misinterpreting for a long time. And you know what? It must have been easier for the Jews to say, hey, anybody who hates you. Because the Jews, if you read through the Bible, you can see the people of God had a really hard time. They don't have an easy time. So chances are, all these people that they were rejecting probably were rejecting them anyway. You know, so it's easy, isn't it? If somebody hates you, you just hate them back. Why are you going to like them, right? It's so much easier. What harm is it? What harm is it to hate those that hate you in the first place, right? But what Jesus does is he gets right down to us and he gets in their faces and says, no, love your enemy. What is remarkable about Jesus here is that he's painting for us a picture of what God looks like. And God loves his enemies. And although there's brokenness in our world, and there is, we know there is, we look around and we see it, we live in a world that's mostly okay. Actually, mostly working, it's in order, right? Things aren't falling apart. The sun's not red and cracking and all that stuff that we read about in Revelation. Not yet. And most of that is because God loves his enemies. In fact, the Bible says he doesn't just love them. Like he sustains them. 
This has been so hard for me to get my head around this week. This has been so hard for me to get my head around. At times, I've been like, ah, he says he causes his son to rise on the evil, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. I'm like, can you not just like maybe stop them from getting rain though? Maybe just on the righteous alone. But you know what? God loves his enemies and he sustains them. And that is hard for us to get our head around because he's not like us. God is love. He is love. And that is why he sent Jesus to die for his enemies. What he did for his enemies was he spread his arms out and he died. And the teaching tonight is not meant to be easy. It isn't meant to be easy for us to stomach. It's not for me. It was hard for Jesus. It cost him his life. It was that hard for him. And if it cost him his life in demonstration of what it looks like to love your enemy, what will I do with that? What will I do? What will you do with that? Will I reject it? Will I choose to follow him and therefore obey everything that he asks for me, including this? So how then? So then I was like, okay, God, I get it. I get that you died and you went and spread your arms. Yeah, I complete, but how? How do I do that? Because I'm not I'm sure about you, but I'm not ready to die for my enemies. How do you do that? And I felt God say to me, I felt God show me three ways in which he shows us how. And the first is getting rooted in discipleship. And not the discipleship that we talk about in church, you know, where you kind of go to like a discipleship class and you turn up on a Tuesday and then you have an appointment so you miss it the next Tuesday. Not like that. By looking at Jesus' teachings, the reflection of enemy love is a characteristic that is produced through discipleship. So as we get close to him, as I pray for the one who persecutes me, as I do that, I am less about trying to produce this loving behavior in myself as much as I am bringing my pain and my discomfort exactly where it belongs, at the foot of the cross. You heard Emma talk about this great exchange that God wants to do tonight. He wants to take this stuff that means that you can't get close to Jesus and he wants to put it at the foot of the cross. And as we do that, through his discipleship, for us, in us, he transforms us from the inside out. You know, this is truly radical. It's radical living. This, this concept of forgiveness is just radical, isn't it? You know, but taking the teachings of Jesus and loving our enemies, the onus is never on us, but it is on him, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's like it's his invitation in this like upside down kingdom where we're able to live a life where we're loving not only those who love us, but those we struggle to even be around. It's a completely upside down concept. It really is. I know. I've tried it. Crazy. But he asks us to be willingly able or to come willingly um, embracing our helplessness in loving our enemies, bringing that poverty of spirit to him, our inability to help ourselves in this area. And then he says, give me that. He calls us to a life where we depend on him, where he takes that weakness and he transforms our character into the likeness of Jesus. And why does Jesus want us to do this so much? Why? 
why does Jesus want us to love our enemies? You know, because when we get to know Jesus, we are transformed. And when we're transformed, we're able to love. And when we are able to love, we can love like Jesus. And when we love our enemies, we are most like our Father God. In fact, I'm going to say that again because I think this is really important. And if you only get one thing and remember one thing tonight, in the kingdom of love, we are most like our Father God when we love our enemies. So the first thing is, get rooted in discipleship. Get at the feet of Jesus. Sit with him and say, it's hard for me. He's going to take that, put it at the foot of the cross. And as he does that, he gives this beautiful exchange. The second thing is, lay down offense. And that's harder to do. You know, um, I heard this great quote, um, I think it was this week or last week, that says, offense is offense. It keeps people out. Because actually, what you do is, when you're offended, you build a wall, don't you? Right? So offense, these fences of offense that we build, they keep people out. But you know what they do as well? They keep us in. They keep us in this place where we can't see God. We can't experience his goodness. We can't see what he's doing. We can't take on the goodness of God fully. Not really, because we are just completely blocked in by these walls of offense. Lay down, Jesus says. I'm just going to come here for a moment. Because actually, it's really easy to detach ourselves, isn't it, from hate. Because hate, oh, it's too strong a word. So you can say, no. I don't hate anybody, I'm tolerant. I love people, I love everybody. Um, because it's a really, really strong word, and it's a little, it, but offense, offense is a word that we can maybe get our head around. You know, we know what that, that looks like. You know, it can happen at work. Have you ever had that colleague, just the wrong way, that one? It can happen in families, your kids can just really offend you. It can happen even in church. And I know we don't like to talk about that, but it can happen here in church. And before long, what have we done? We've built fences of offense. We have. And we try to keep people out who hurt us because we're trying to defend ourselves. And you know what? Sometimes we do that because sometimes the hardest people to love are the people who are closest to you. And these are the people that we have the hardest times with. These are the people that we're supposed to go, to go the extra mile for, but it's so hard. Jesus t- t- you know, says, turn the other cheek. You're like, no. Forgive the unforgivable. Oh, no. What is remarkable here is that we build these walls, and they don't just keep people out, they keep us in, they keep us hedged in. We can't experience God. And I know I'm speaking to myself here tonight, so I'm not just speaking to you. This is to me too. You know what, I have found it easier to forgive the people who hurt my family than I have found it to forgive the people closest to me sometimes. The people who killed my family in the genocide, they are unforgivable, aren't they? You can say, I can understand why you don't forgive them. But I've found it easier to forgive them than I've found it to let go of people who've hurt me, the offence that people have caused me. You know, in, my, in our many years, this is my husband Stuart, in our many years of, as youth pastors, we found that some people that we had led or were led by really hurt us. And I'd like to say that it didn't hurt, but it did. And when I got married, this isn't about you, <laughs> I found that family 
in its greatest sense, can also be the source of pain in ways you never expect. You know, like a careless word that somebody would say to you, you'd be like, oh, that's nothing. A friend would say, and it's nothing. But a member of your family says it, and it hurts inside, and you hold it in, and it's, oh, it's so deep. You can't let go of it. You know what, and I'd like to say that in all of those circumstances, I was able to say, oh, Jesus, I give it to you. It's all gone. It's at the foot of the cross. Everything is fine. I've got the victory. But what I did instead, I built up walls of a fence. And I carried this fence around with me for a long time. And the walls get higher. They don't get smaller. They get higher. The more you say stuff, if I'm holding a fence, I'll just add it on. And I'll add it on. And I'll add it on. And they get higher. They get stronger until we can't ever see eye to eye with that person. So then what do you do? You draw your circle closer and smaller, and you decide that you keep them out. You know, I remember the first time that Jesus said to me, give me that, give me that offense from family, just give me that. You know, the struggle that I had with my in-laws, give me that, Jesus said. And I remember the first time I took this to Jesus in prayer, and the freedom that I felt afterwards as he broke down these walls that I had built. And I genuinely believe that that's what Jesus wants to do here for us tonight. Jesus wants to restore all of our relationships. And if you're here and you don't know him and you're thinking, actually, I don't know this Jesus you're talking about, he wants to restore the relationship that matters the most, and that's the one between you and him. And then he wants to restore the relationship between you and the people that he made, the people that he loves, the people that he died for. And you know what, what does it mean to love our enemies? It means that we get discipled by Jesus. He teaches us how. We give him our stuff. He takes it and he gives us something else. And then it means that we decide to break down the walls of offense. And finally, I believe that Jesus says, pray. And that's the third thing. Pray. And I think if you can't face your enemy, if you think I can't go there, pray. It says pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who have wronged you. So tonight, that's exactly what we're gonna do. And I'm gonna invite the band back up. And I'm gonna ask you to get personal tonight. Just like God asked me this week, get personal. Who are the people you are struggling to love? Where are the places you have built offense? How heavy? How heavy is that offense you're carrying? How heavy is it? Jesus wants to exchange that for his goodness. He wants to take that away from you. He wants to break down these walls. He wants to teach you what it looks like to love your enemies. You know, and I, I believe that this response has to be personal because I believe that Jesus may have been speaking to you tonight. So we're gonna allow space for that. So just please, with every eye closed in this room, just, just take a moment, just take a moment. The band aren't gonna start playing yet. Just take a moment and ask him, I said, Jesus, knock on my heart. How do you want me to respond to this tonight? I'll space for that for a minute.
here. He wants to speak to you. He wants you to take in what he says. When you know what he's saying to you about this, he wants you to do it. You know, maybe like me, you've been hurt really badly by people that are far away. People who who aren't necessarily in your life right now, but who hurt you? And if anybody heard what you've been through, they'd be, they'd really understand. They'd say, yep, I get why this is a hard message for you. I get why it's a hard message to hear. And I completely understand why you wouldn't want to let this go. But I believe Jesus knows that you are here too. And he's inviting you on a journey that he invited me on two years ago. It was a journey of healing. Healing from past pain and hurt. Deep stuff that I hadn't ever dealt with. And as the band begins to play, I want you to speak to him and say, Jesus, help me. Help me. And at the front here, I I wasn't going to do this because I wasn't sure that this was going to work, but um, at the front here, just pass me that, I've got plastic cup, nothing special about it, but inside this cup are blessings, pieces of scripture with blessings in them. So as you let go and give God the things that hurt you, that broke your heart, that are hard to take, I believe Jesus wants you to take on a blessing. Because the Bible also says, bless those who curse you. But actually, I think maybe you're not there yet. So maybe you can take this blessing and over the next week, speak this over yourself first so you can really hear it. Because God blesses us, our, uh, his enemies. Take it. Speak it over you. And then when you're ready, use this as a prayer for your enemies. And then start to say, Jesus, would you help me to start to bless those who hurt me, those who curse me? And I really believe that as we do that, God is going to exchange your pain for his love because he really, really loves you. He really cares about you. He wants to take this heavy burden from you tonight. So as you do that, when you're ready, if you need to do that, come, pick up a piece of paper with scripture in it. Say it over yourself, say it over your enemies, the people who hurt you the most. Remember, we, we are most like our Father God when we're doing this, when we choose to love our enemies. Bible says we were enemies of God. You know why we're still in sin? Christ died. So you're here and you're hearing this. And you know that you know that right now you're not in relationship with Him. He loves you so much. He loves you so much. It's indescribable how much He loves you. He wants to restore your relationship with Him, give you eternal life. Will you choose to go all the way with Him? Will you choose to give Him you? Will you choose to give him your heart tonight? Will you have the courage to open up your heart? Say yes. Will you choose to lay down your old life and pick up a new one that begins with him tonight? If that's you and you're in this room, I don't want to get off this stage without saying, yeah, come into the most important relationship with Jesus, the one that matters the most. This is the only one that matters. 
So if that's you tonight, every eye is closed, don't worry. Put your hand up and I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you. If that's you, I'm just going to wait a minute. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.